Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the questions and answers vlog that was recorded live in March of 2021. Now, I have gone through and edited the live broadcast down to what I thought were the most relevant questions for the podcast. Now, as always, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs like this instead of watching them, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel, and you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing that I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. MF Mize asks, uh, do I have any thoughts on cube rails after processing the plays from last night? Um, yeah, so last night I played Chicago Express, Erie Railroad, as well as uh, Northern Pacific, and another game called Bites, which is all about ants at a picnic, but I was told by the people who taught it to me that it was essentially a stealth uh, train game. Uh, now, not all of those really have cubes, like Erie Railroad is just a card game that has a bunch of auctions in it, uh, but I can say as a broad thing that um, I'm still really enjoying them. I enjoyed all four of those games. In fact, I'm planning on probably later on today recording a, a good games vlog where I'm going to talk about all four of those in greater detail, and I'll put that out in a week or so uh, because they're really fresh on my mind, and I really quite enjoyed playing them. Uh, uh, Chicago Express is supposedly kind of a classic Cube Rails game, and I could definitely see that in the play. Uh, and then Erie Railroad was a very strange uh, game, all about auctions and um, lots of very tight auctions going around. And I did pretty well in all of these games. Um, I was one money back in Chicago Express from winning, and I was just a couple of money back in Erie Railroad as well. Um, and I tied for the win in Bites, so it was a pretty good night overall. I had a good time with it. Uh, and I'm still really looking forward to uh, uh, playing even more of these. There's probably about four or five other Cube Rails games that I've read the rules to that I haven't played just yet. Uh, Marcelo asks, how is the feedback on the Hallertau teaser? There we go. Um, the feedback has been great, honestly. Uh, I was actually out of town when I published that video um, in a situation where I couldn't really answer comments. So I came home to it on Monday and spent like two hours answering the 100 plus comments that were posted up onto that teaser. Uh, there was a lot of feedback given, which I really appreciate. Um, it seems like people in general enjoyed it. So I'm planning on continuing to make more of those. In fact, um, about an hour ago, I filmed two more teasers for some upcoming videos. Uh, and I'm hoping people continue to like them. I'm trying to tweak the formula just a little bit. I'm trying to uh, uh, give a little bit more front-loaded information while still not scripting it and kind of shooting from the hip. So hopefully I'll find a good happy medium. I'm sure things will subtly change as I continue to make these. But overall, the feedback was great. People seem to like it. Um, on average, it seemed like more people said it could be less detailed than more. So I'm going to try to rein back on the details of the specific rules a little bit, uh, maybe try to make the videos a little bit shorter. But again, I'm not scripting it and I don't really have a timer up. So it's really hard to tell if I'm at three minutes or five minutes, especially considering I sometimes flub my words and have to redo a take a few times. I really uh, lose track of where I'm at. So I'll probably find a good rhythm with them. Uh, and so far, I'm continuing to make them. So I guess that's a good sign overall. Uh, the video itself did uh, less well than uh, most of my videos. Uh, it definitely lower than average number of views, whereas the Hallertau tutorial got a good amount. But interestingly enough, the Hallertau uh, tutorial had an average watch time of four minutes more than normal, which is pretty significant. So that tells me that it's likely that some people watched the uh, teaser and decided it wasn't for them. So they didn't watch the tutorial, which means the teaser might have acted like a bit of a, a gateway um, so that the people who actually watched the tutorial ended up watching more of it. Um, I'm not actually sure if that's a good or a bad thing, but um, it's interesting. And I'll probably try to get more of these data points together as, uh, as time goes on. 
uh, Daniel Lopez uh, asks, uh, which one am I playing next? Uh, oh, clarifying, uh, which train game am, am I going to play next? I think you mentioned you were excited to play others. Uh, yes. Um, well, I mentioned a few of them already here. Uh, the ones that I'm most interested in trying next are probably Lose on Rails. That one seems really interesting. Uh, it's got a stock market where you actually track the value of companies with a die. Uh, it's just a counter. Uh, so not only is the stock value significant of where the die is, but you can change the value of the die based off how many cities are connected to change how the payout works. That seems really interesting. Um, card Rails seems pretty cool as well. It's a, a Cube Rails game where you actually build the map out with cards. Um, in addition to that, Dual Gauge is one that I really want to try because it seems like it, it's stepping more into the um, uh, the space between Cube Rails and 18xx games. I've watched uh, a couple of videos on that one and read the rules a couple of times, so that one's very high up on my list to try. All right, uh, Stephen asks, do you have any board game accessories that you would consider essential? Um, honestly, no, uh, just because of the word essential. Um, I actually rarely use board game accessories at all. Um, I do have some card racks that you can kind of slide cards into so you don't have to hold them, but I usually forget I own them and don't actually pull those out. I do have a dice tray, actually. And I keep that in here in the filming studio because I like to use this when I'm recording games. Um, I've never yet actually used this when playing a game with somebody else, though, because, again, I forget about it. Um, I would have no problem bringing this out to play dice games with, but it's uh, great for the filming studio to control the dice when they are on camera. Uh, so I guess I have some essential things like this for my filming process, but as far as playing games are concerned, I rarely use any of these things. Uh, I have more things than I actually remember to use. Uh, I'm sure some people like these a lot. Uh, for certain games that have a ton of cards, the card holders have uh, come into play, but honestly, I used them a bit when I first got them and then proceeded to kind of forget about them. Part of that might be because I have not played that many games in person in a year. <laughs> uh, Joe Chang asks... What have you started doing during quarantine that you want to keep doing, not necessarily board game related? Um, honestly, my first answer, oh, the best answer to that is cooking. Um, I didn't used to cook at all. In fact, I've kind of actively avoided it for most of my life. Um, I would get a lot of anxiety in the kitchen um, that I was going to mess something up and, you know, I would have to follow the instructions uh, step by step. And if there was anything wrong or any substitutions, I would kind of get thrown off and uh, really uh, un uh, not enjoy the overall experience. Um, but in the early pandemic, when it seemed dangerous to even leave the house. Uh, we definitely did some gigantic grocery store runs where we'd get like three to four weeks worth of food and then we just cook that food in the house. Um, in general, before the pandemic, we would eat out a lot, like at least five times a week. And um, we went 100 days during the pandemic not eating out once because, again, we kind of had to. And um, I cooked most of the meals uh, um, in that time period. Jessica definitely cooked a bunch of them as well. But I kind of took on the cooking as kind of a project to kind of figure out how to get over my anxiety and actually try to enjoy it a little bit more. Um, I've been trying to keep that up as time goes on. I'm certainly not a good cook at this point, but uh, I can put food together that people, uh, or at least I don't dislike and my wife doesn't dislike. And uh, I'm hoping to keep that going. Um, I don't want it to be a year from now and having us uh, eating out five nights a week again because that's expensive. Uh, all right. Steven asks, you did a four-player playthrough of Iberian Gage that was great. What do you think about 
when you decide to do two, three, or four uh, players? Um, that's actually a really interesting question because, yeah, every time I sit down to do a tutorial, I have to decide what the player count is going to be for that video. Um, in general, I default to showing three-player games. Uh, a big reason for that is because a lot of games, especially Euro games, which is kind of my bread and butter, uh, a lot of them have special rules to make two-player situations work. And... <laughs> Honestly, Rado covers two-player games, and he's been doing it a lot longer than I have. So right from the very beginning, I decided to show three-player games to just differentiate myself. Like, you want to watch a two-player version of that game? You can watch Rado's video, and if you want to see a three-player game that maybe doesn't have that dummy player or that extra rule, well, you watch mine. Um, over the years, I have certainly filmed some things at two-player, uh, and I usually do that when there's not a big difference between the uh, playing experience uh, between two and three-player, and if there's just a lot going on. Um, for example, I did a two-player uh, tutorial playthrough of A Feast for Odin because it just takes up so much space and there's so much going on and realistically not that much uh, of a difference between the player counts, uh, especially because I filmed it with the Norwegian's expansion, which balances for the player counts even better. Now, sometimes I go above three players, like, uh, like you said, in Iberian Gage, I did four players, and that was um, because... In these cube rail type games, it seems to me they oftentimes shine brightest at higher player counts, uh, just because there's more interaction uh, and more things to compute as you have more people holding stock in all of these various different companies. So I wanted to show a four-player version of it instead of three to show a slightly more dynamic stock experience, and in that game... There really isn't much difference between the player counts because, again, uh, well, not to go into, into the, the nitty-gritty of that game, but when you actually lay trains out, it's just per stock. So it really depends on how much money people are paying for the stocks versus how many people there are to dictate just how many stocks are purchased. At higher player counts, the stocks will likely be purchased more often earlier, so there will be more actions in a higher player count game. Um, I did play a five-player game of Iberian Gage at one point, uh, but I decided to show a four-player game to be a middle ground. So yeah, I treat every game, um, uh, or I give some thought to it in every single game. I default to three-player, and then I decide, is three-player too much or too little to show this game off? Um, and I think as I continue to uh, play through um, and show these cube rail games, I'll probably start to default more to four players for them because of the relative length and because of the extra complexity that comes in uh, through uh, stockholding with more players. Uh, Ian Stewart asks, uh, your playthrough of Cloudspire was very helpful for me. Uh, did you enjoy that game? And was it difficult to film uh, with all of the little rules? Um, the short answer is, I'm not sure. And yes, it was very difficult. <laughs> so I never actually played um, uh, Cloudspire with anybody else. That uh, video that you saw was the only uh, time I played through it. And that was a difficult video to make. Um, for some reason, just, you know, the life, <laughs> things that happen in life. Uh, I filmed that video over the course of like a week and a half. It just stayed here on my filming table as I would work on it a bit and then get pulled away and then work on it a bit and get pulled away, which was really difficult considering there are a ton of little rules, as you said. So it was hard to... Um, stay focused and really show it off well. Um, and also, I have to admit, I wasn't super impressed with, uh, or I guess um, I, I didn't really think the game itself lined up with my personal tastes as much as I was hoping. And I was kind of struggling to get the game into a state to teach things as quickly as I could. A lot of people really enjoy the game, so I was trying to show it off in its best light. And I felt like Maybe it just didn't click with my brain that much, which made it even more difficult to show it off well in an objective way. So I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. <laughs> it was certainly difficult to do. I know that I messed up 
a key small rule. I can't remember exactly what it was, and I think if I'd played that one rule uh, correctly, I would have enjoyed the game better. I know I'm being really vague. It was a while ago that I filmed that game. Uh, but yeah, that one was definitely a, a challenge overall, uh, more challenging than most of the videos that I've made. All right, Efrain asks, have you ever worked with the Dice Tower? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, so I've been doing this for a while, approaching seven years, which is a really long time. Uh, and uh, Tom Bassel actually reached out to me after I'd been doing John Gets Games for about a year and a half. He reached out to me and um, asked me if I wanted to join the Dice Tower, which I was uh, kind of blown away by. Um, I considered it a bunch. I actually had an in-person uh, discussion with him uh, about it. And after thinking about it a bunch, I decided I kind of wanted to do this on my own. I appreciated the offer in a big way, but I just wanted to see where this could go. At that point, I had no aspirations of becoming professional with this, um, but you know that's kind of where things went. Um, that being said, after that, I actually uh, was a contributor in the Board Game Breakfast video for some time. Uh, I wanted to be a part of it. I really appreciated the offer that was sent out to me. And um, Board Game Breakfast was like an hour-ish long video they put out um, often. I can't remember. I think maybe five days a week back then. And um, they would have a whole bunch of people submit like three to five minute clips. And so I did that for many months. And uh, that was interesting. It was definitely cool to be out there um, in some Dice Tower content. Although ultimately I had a hard time engaging with it in the long run. I kind of found myself struggling to come up with the content that I wanted to say for that segment. And I ended up falling off um, actually doing it. And um, I haven't participated with any Dice Tower stuff uh, since then. Um, I've just been operating adjacent to them <laughs> over the years. Uh, and I've bumped into Tom uh, and Z and Sam and, and lots of people from the Dice Tower many times at conventions over the years. Uh, and that's definitely been a, a fun experience overall. Uh, Amelia asks, uh, any recommendations for a great tower defense board game? I don't have one and I keep a pretty slim game library, but I'm looking to add one to my collection. Um, I don't have a super vetted uh, library of tower defense games in my head to choose from. Um, honestly, the, the the first one that occurs to me is Cloudspire, which I talked about just a little bit ago. And the only other one that I can really think about is Kingdom Rush. Um, now, I never actually played that game with anybody else. I filmed a full tutorial playthrough for that one for the Kickstarter campaign. Um, and I remember being pretty impressed with it. I thought it seemed quite neat. Although again, big caveat, I was paid to make the video and I haven't actually played it for reals. I only played it for the tutorial. But the puzzly nature of moving those um, um, uh, tiles around and the positioning of things on the tiles, I thought was pretty cool. Um, so I would definitely give uh, Kingdom Rush a look. Again, I'm not going to um, endorse it because I can't really, I haven't really uh, played it actually. Um, but at some point I wouldn't mind. Um, and I can't think of any other tower defense games at all. So I guess that's the only one <laughs> that I have to say about right now that I have even a positive uh, uh, memory for. Efrain asks, I noticed that uh, some games, such as Tang Garden, changed some rules after the playthrough. Will you go back and update that video? Um, yeah, that's interesting. This has happened many times in the past, uh, where I'll make a video for a Kickstarter prototype, and then a year later, the game comes out and things are different. Um, I know in the case of Dwellings of Eldervale, they changed the way endgame scoring worked. So, um, I, well, just a little bit. Uh, so I put corrections into the Klingon subtitles for that video and put comments down below uh, in the description and in a pinned comment to try and make it obvious that that people could actually see that correction. Um, in the past, I've actually pulled a couple of videos down uh, because they were so 
different. Uh, Warpgate was actually one of those. I made a video for that Kickstarter a very long time ago, and I removed that video from the internet because they did a lot more development to the game uh, after I put that one out. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Title Blades. That's one that I removed because they did some changes and actually made a new video for that game um, with the production uh, components. And I think that's the only time I've actually made two videos for the same game by removing one of the other ones. Uh, I'm not sure about Tang Garden. Um, uh, at this point, Thundergriff has not reached out to me about that. I didn't actually know they changed rules to it, so this is news to me. I should look into that and at least try to get some corrections into that video. I'll try to make note of that, so thank you for mentioning it. Um, unfortunately, YouTube does not allow people to upload a new video onto the same page onto the same link. So if I make a new video for um, that game, it's going to be a brand new video starting out at zero views, not having any of the uh, suggestions and all that, that the older video has kind of accumulated over the years on YouTube, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, but also, it's oftentimes a good thing if there are enough rules changes to the point where it would confuse people. Uh, so yeah, I should definitely look into Tangarden. Uh, class asks, how long does it take you to make a playthrough for an average game, including all preparation and post-production? Um, I have crunched this a few times. I actually log all of my time, um, for everything that I do for John Gets Games, just because I like to know where I'm at, um, if I'm slacking or whatnot. Also, it's nice to get some, uh, uh metrics on these kind of things. Um, and over the years, I have check to see how this goes. And back when I was making the full playthrough and the extended video, um, the uh, videos oftentimes reached into the 15 to 20 hours range, <laughs> which is a big part of why I decided to stop making extended playthroughs because um, they took a very long time. Um, these days with the tutorial playthroughs that I'm making, I think it's more like 10 hours or so for each of them, but it really can vary. Um, sometimes I'll have a game that I will have put four hours into before I even turn the camera on because I've had to read the rules, send questions, get answers, read the rules again, send questions, more questions happen um, if it's, you know, a prototype version of the rules, whereas occasionally I'll just finish the entire project in like five hours if it's a simple game with a really solid rule set. Um, so it, it does vary all over the place. And in general, I've actually found that I film faster these days than I used to when I would do extended playthroughs. I feel like that might be a, an anxiety thing or something. Uh, I am still filming full playthroughs sometimes. And when I film full playthroughs these days, I'm doing it a lot faster than I used to when I filmed a full playthrough for every single game. So that must just be a weird mental block that I'm getting over. I'm not really sure, but I'm definitely happy to see that. All right, um, Efrain asks, uh, I'm fairly new to your channel. Do you have a top 10 favorite games video? Um, yes, with a really big asterisk. <laughs> uh, so I've not made that many top 10 lists. Um, historically, I've actually kind of avoided them. Um, the biggest reason for that is because when I started uh, this channel, I just wanted to make videos that I wanted to watch. Um, I started off making reviews in a style that I wished existed, so I decided to make them so that they existed. And I've honestly never really cared for top 10 videos. I, I don't watch anyone else's top 10 videos uh, for board games or really for anything else. Um, I don't really care about uh, lists, but it seems like most other people do. Um, so because I don't have a personal affinity for lists, I've kind of avoided making them, but a lot of people like them. So over the years, I have made several and I've actually made quite a few more over the last six months or so. I'm trying to lean into it a little bit more and enjoy the process of making it more because honestly, I like talking about games and people enjoy lists. So, you know, I shouldn't uh, be a stick in the mud about it. But um, many years ago, I did make a top 20 list uh, for just my all of my favorite games just in general. I actually split it up into two videos, I think. Uh, and the reason I set a big asterisk is because 
I don't think I even own like half of those games anymore. Uh, and that's a, another reason why I've um, shied away from top 10 lists in the past, because they are a very temporal thing. They're just in this moment. This is the list that it is. And um, things can really change. You know, there are games in the top 10 that I had three or four years ago that I've removed entirely. And I imagine when I made that list, I could not have imagined uh, removing those games from my collection. But, you know, opinions change over time. You play games more or you just don't get around to playing games as much. And maybe you think, well, I haven't gotten around to playing that game in three years. Maybe I don't actually like it as much as I did. So you can definitely check out that video. I've made a bunch of other top 10 lists. I actually have a playlist in the uh, Jungus Games channel just for my vlogs. And in there, if you just search for top, you'll find a whole bunch of them. Um, and yeah, they're interesting overall, but definitely uh, keep in mind that opinions can really change on the, these things quite quickly. Danielle asks, have you ever completely given up on a playthrough video? Yes once. <laughs> That's actually kind of timely uh, that you say this. Um, I've only ever given up completely once, and it was way back at the very beginning of John Gets Games. I'd probably only filmed three or four full playthroughs at that point, and I had just gotten my Kickstarter uh, 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 copy of The Gallerist. Um, I played this game with my friends, and I really liked it, and it was the hotness. It was a very big deal at the time when I had that copy, so I figured... I'll make a full playthrough of The Gallerist. Like, why not? You know, just turn the camera on and I'm smart. I've already made like three of these videos. How hard could it be? And it was very hard. <laughs> um, I made so many mistakes. I think I got about three hours into recording it and found like my fifth mistake. And this one was a big one. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was enough to realize that everything that I had recorded was garbage. <laughs> I essentially needed to start over. Um, even though I had played the game already, I just was was having a really hard time balancing all of these things. And I packed up the game and I never actually made the video again. I kind of always meant to get back to it. And interestingly enough, I have not filmed a playthrough for any Vitala Serta games up to this point. And I say the timing is interesting because uh, tomorrow I'm actually planning on starting to film a tutorial playthrough for Kanban EV. So I'm going to officially break that streak. I will make a tutorial for a Vitala Serta game. Uh, and uh, I don't really begrudge the gallerist for this. I think I was a bit full of hubris when I just threw myself into it like, ah, this can't be that hard. I've, I've made three of these already. Uh, and it really was. I, I don't think it's a knock on the game. I actually quite like the gallerist. Um, but um, yeah, there was a lot going on in that game. And I was very uh, disheartened when I realized just how many mistakes I was making. And um, my life was also very different back then. Uh, I worked full time, more than 40 hours a week, usually uh, for my event company employer. I don't remember what time of the year that was in, but it was probably during a time of the year where I was working a lot, like a lot of nights, a lot of weekends. And I probably just didn't have the gumption for it. Joe asks, when you do a playthrough, if you had to show a rule that would be a suboptimal move, do you try to demonstrate it with a uh, with your fake opponents? Yes, all the time. <laughs> this is this can be tough actually, um, because I want my tutorials to teach the game as quickly as possible. So I spend a lot of time trying to make good moves that also has every one of the players at least bumping into all of the relevant rules as quickly as possible. But sometimes. I just have to do a bad move to teach something, and it just kind of is what it is. I actually did that in my Haunted Teutonica tutorial, uh, which I was editing earlier today, and that one's probably going to be going out tomorrow. Um, there was a point about 45 minutes in, I hadn't taught a thing, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to teach it now, pretend like it's not a bad move, even though it's probably not a very good move, and that's fine, because... My playthroughs are meant to show how the game plays and give you that feel, but they are really not supposed to be 
purely authentic, 100% accurate uh, versions of the game. Um, and yeah, I, I very often uh, find myself playing it suboptimally and trying to gloss over that a little bit because, you know, I want to teach the thing. And uh, I'm rarely making a terrible move in this case. If it's a truly terrible move, then I might say, my opponent is thinking about maybe doing this and explaining it, but that's actually not good for this reason, so they're going to do that instead. Uh, so I try not to totally sink players just for the purposes of teaching something, but if it's a little suboptimal, I'll just bite the bullet and go for it. Uh, Gator Dave asks, since going full-time, has the work experiences with your channel met or exceeded your expectations? Um, that's an interesting question because it kind of relies on what my expectations were and I'm not really sure what they were. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't plan to go full-time. COVID made that happen. I, I've been planning on continuing to stay part-time for a long time. And then COVID killed the entire event industry and pushed me off of the cliff. And I happened to have a parachute on. So I've been able to uh, soar down and actually make this work. Um, and I think, I guess it's exceeded expectations at this point. Um, Early on, it was tough. I mean, everything was tough early pandemic because nobody knew what was going on. Uh, anxiety was very high in a lot of different ways. Um, I was very worried about my other job, um, not necessarily because I need to go back to it, but because um, I, I honestly love that job. I, I worked for that company for 11 years. Um, the two owners of that company are amazing people that I am. Uh, I have strong, affectionate feelings for as well as most of my coworkers. Um, so I want it to survive and I want it to be good for everybody. And spoiler alert, they're doing okay. They're, they're going to survive the pandemic. Thank goodness. Um, but that was really difficult back then. And so, um, times were tough and I, I, I got lonely, you know, just hanging out in this room all day long. So originally it definitely, I had some trouble. Like it seemed like it was not exceeding expectations for quite some time. Um, if you follow my vlogs much, you may know that, um, in the middle of last year, I, thought about going back to school. In fact, I started going back to uh, take some classes. I thought about maybe leaving John Gets Games entirely because I didn't think it was making me happy. And then I emerged right out the other side of that saying, no, I'm going to commit to this. I, I think I can actually make this work. I love board games. I love being in the board game industry. I want to make this work. And interestingly enough, I've just become much more comfortable with working by myself and with being alone. Um, I am a very <laughs> talkative person. I am very much an extrovert, which made it quite difficult early on in this pandemic. But I've, I've definitely come to terms with being okay with a little bit of introversion. I mean, I'm here with my wife, who is my best friend, so I'm not alone alone. But, you know, she is working full-time from home in the room uh, adjacent to me. Uh, and I'm in here and, you know, we take breaks together, we eat lunch together, and we spend our evenings together. But throughout most of the day, I'm in here by myself for, you know, six to seven hours. And I'm actually fine with it now. Uh, I actually kind of enjoy it. Um, so maybe I've learned to grow a little bit, <laughs> become a little bit more of an adult, uh, not needing the attention uh, and interaction with other people at all times to actually keep my mood up. Um, or maybe I'm just, you know, in a bit of a bubble and I'll crash down again in a month. I, I can't really be sure, but um, that is a long-winded uh, way of saying, I'm not really sure, but, but things are seem to be going well. <laughs> uh, Ian asks, uh, Oh, 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 Ian has a suggestion for the tower defense. He said, maybe Bad Bones never played it, but it looked interesting. That is a really interesting suggestion. I have played it. I actually still own a copy of that one. Um, and I discussed it in an impressions vlog 
a while ago, like probably two or so years ago. Um, if you search John Gitz Games Bad Bones, you will very likely find it. Um, that is a really interesting game. Yeah, that's totally a tower defense game. Uh, you can play it uh, competitively or cooperatively. And um, there's essentially all of these skeletons that are um, uh, moving around in a very formulaic way. And when you're playing competitively, which is the only way that I played it, you are trying to get them away from your tower and send them towards your opponent's towers to kind of take out their stuff, and you have a little hero that you're moving around trying to take them out, uh, and you can add other tokens down onto the board. Um, there's an entirely um, more complex way to play the game that I never got around to. I only played it once, enjoyed it, and never got back to it, but I still have it in my collection because I think it's cool. Um, so yes, I, I strongly suggest looking into that one. It was quite neat. Uh, and the cooperative mode also seemed pretty cool. Um, I didn't mention it, but Kingdom uh, Rush is a cooperative game, so Bad Bones can be cooperative and it also can be competitive. Um, and it's a, it's a cute game with, with some pretty streamlined rules. So that is a great suggestion. Thank, uh, thank you, Ian. Uh, Ian asks, uh, being a content creator and having to keep up with the latest and greatest, do you get a chance to play some of your old favorite games or does that happen, uh, too infrequently? Um, what an interesting question. Um, so I say interesting because in normal times, this, yeah, I didn't really get back to old games that much, but in pandemic times, I've actually played quite a few older games that I've enjoyed. Well, I say older, you know, games that are a couple of years old that I enjoy. Um, I think that has to do with the nature of playing games on Tabletop Simulator. Also, um, some of my friends have been enjoying digging into games and playing them a lot more instead of just playing a whole bunch of new things, which is obviously a little bit counter to what I usually push for, but, you know, I still lean into it to a certain extent. Um, I, all that being said, I am still very much a cult of the new type person. I, I do focus primarily on playing new stuff, and that is not necessarily because I'm a content creator. Um, yes, that does go along with being a content creator usually, but I have been full on board with Cult of the New since I first bumped into board games, uh, or until I first realized how deep the board game well went. Um, for the first couple of years uh, with board games, I just played a bunch of Settlers of Catan and uh, Stone Age. But in about 2009, I joined a uh, meetup group that met up on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and most Sundays. And I just jumped right off of the edge. And I was learning like five to seven games a, a night. <laughs> These would be very long nights I would play for a very long time. And I just could not get enough of playing new games. And honestly, that has not changed over the course of the last 12 years or so. Um, I'm, I'm, in a, uh, I'm currently in a bit of a resurgence of that um, with the Cube Rails games, with the train games that I am really jumping into uh, over the course of the last month, learning a whole bunch of them over and over again. A large part of that's because they have relatively simple rule sets and you can play them relatively quickly. But uh, I have just always loved new games. Um, a big uh, source of enjoyment for me in board gaming is, is trying out new stuff, seeing how older stuff works with newer stuff, seeing different combinations of things I'm familiar with, or just completely new ideas that um, hadn't occurred to me before. Um, a big part of board gaming is the mechanics, the nuts and bolts of how these games fit together. And because of that, I, I get a lot of enjoyment of seeing the new stuff and certainly trying to experience new stuff wherever I can. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I do it because I like to, and I also do it because it makes sense for my full-time job. So overall, it's pretty good. Uh, Matt Book asked, what else does John get as far as hobbies are concerned? Um, not much. <laughs> I think you're, you're, you're looking at it. It's pretty much board games. Uh, I've dabbled in a bunch of hobbies over the years. Um, I used to uh, paraglide. I did that for a couple of years. I used to uh, do kiteboarding as well. You know, 
big kite 75 feet away from you going through the water at San Francisco Bay. Um, I, I tried a lot of outdoorsy kind of adventure stuff. I used to snowboard and I haven't done really any of these things in many years. Um, as far as creative pursuits, I don't really have many of those. Um, I used to be very into reading and I keep trying to get back into reading. I bought a Kindle about a year ago and I played, I read a couple of books, uh, but I've had trouble really getting back into it. So honestly, board gaming does kind of dominate my life and my brain. Um, I kind of want to get into a new hobby. I'm not really sure what it is. I've definitely been thinking about poking around, uh, in some, uh, uh, other areas that don't have anything to do with games, but um, I'm at the uh, early stages of that. I'll just have to try things out and see if anything comes up. Uh, all right. Amelia asks, any thoughts about the diversity and inclusion conversations that are happening in gaming? Full disclosure, I'm personally excited that games are becoming more welcoming for many. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my main thoughts are, it's great. <laughs> I think uh, having an open, honest uh, discussion about the diversity of characters that show up in games and also just um, making a welcome environment for as many people to play games as possible is a, a pretty big deal. I mean, I many of my best friends are women and some of them have not felt as comfortable as I have being uh, uh, going to conventions and also just with games in general. There are definitely games out there with themes and art that that some of my female friends just have no interest in playing um, because they're very male gaze oriented um, and I certainly didn't used to notice these things because I'm a guy and, you know, it's easy to have a blind spot for something that's never really niggled at you. But uh, I'm really glad to see um, people talking about this because honestly, I've learned a whole lot about it. And, and I really like seeing, um, you know, subversion of uh, previous tropes uh, that make things more inclusive and more comfortable for everybody. Because um, honestly, there's zero cost and everything to be uh, gained. And I know I've just been talking about examples from a gender perspective, but I also really like seeing that from a uh, um, from a, a racial perspective of like skin tones of characters and inclusion of um, all of these different things that you see in games. I think uh, it's still to the point where I'm surprised when I see a very good example of that, which is a bit of a bummer. I kind of rather the exceptions be the old way and the the, the, way, the way most games are uh, be the new way, but we're not quite there yet. But um, but still, uh, I, I think uh, things seem to be going in a good direction. And I think there is no reason not to have as much uh, conversation about this as possible to push things in a more inclusive and welcoming direction. Board gaming is about playing games with other people, and I am all about bringing as many people into this awesome hobby as possible because I enjoy it so much. <laughs> I know that not most people don't enjoy board gaming as much as I do, but, you know, a lot of people don't know that board, they could love board gaming. And um, if uh, these kind of conversations can push board gaming in a direction that um, lowers the barrier to other people giving it a shot, then, you know, why not? <laughs> Joe asked, what is my favorite game with your least favorite mechanic? Oh, man. Okay. Let me take a quick look at Board Game Geek. I'm going to see what my uh, ratings are to see if I can bump into a mechanic that I don't like. I'm having a hard time. I'm just scrolling through a whole bunch of games over here. Uh, one that jumped out to me was Furnace. Um, I have that one rated as a 10. I think it is an amazing game. And it's uh, billed as an auction game, which in general is a mechanic that I don't enjoy that much. Although I would argue that in Furnace, it doesn't feel like a lot of other auction games. And honestly, with all of these Cube Rails games that I'm playing recently, I'm starting to enjoy auctions a lot more. Uh, but um, for the purposes of this question, I will say Furnace with the auctions. Uh, and maybe that's part of the reason why I'm starting to enjoy auctions more as well. Amelia asks, have you ever dipped into war games? No, 
I, I haven't. Um, I guess it depends on what you mean by dipped. Uh, like I've played Twilight Struggle, and I think that some people might consider that sort of adjacent to war games. <laughs> uh, in general, I have not found much enjoyment from moving troops around a map and positioning uh, different troops, trying to fight other troops. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoyed Risk as much as most people do when I was a kid. I know that's a very abstracted war game situation, but um, as I've fallen more and more into the board gaming hobby, war gaming is just not something that ever really called out to me. Um, that being said, I have actively avoided train games and stock games and auction games for a decade, and suddenly I'm enjoying the heck out of them. So maybe I should give war games a shot as well. <laughs> uh, but up to this point, um, I haven't really dipped my toes into those waters yet. Um, is there a, a well-known uh, intro to war gaming type of game? Uh, please let me know if there is, and maybe I'll, I'll poke around. All right. Class asks, do you watch other tutorial channels to learn games or to check out how they operate? Uh, are there any that you particularly admire? Um, yes, uh, there are definitely some that I admire. Um, Before You Play is a recent one that I've uh, been really enjoying. I watch most of their videos. Uh, I've been watching just about everything that Tom Heath has made on the Slicker Drips uh, 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 YouTube channel for pretty much since he started. <laughs> I really like his stuff. Uh, and I've watched Rado since long before I started John Gets Games. Um, as far as other ones, well, MeWe is a, was a pretty important channel to me because that was probably my favorite playthrough channel out there. Um, uh, the, the guy who actually runs it barely puts out any videos, like maybe one a year. He used to put out a lot more, like one a month or so, like seven years ago. And I definitely modeled my playthrough style after him. I, honestly, I, to a certain extent, I kind of copied him. <laughs> I really liked what he was doing. He didn't make that many videos and I wanted more of those to exist out there. So he was probably my favorite um, overall. As far as actually watching them these days, like I said, I, I watch most things that uh, Before You Play makes as well as Slicker Drips and probably about a third of the videos that come out on Vado's channel just because he covers a wide variety of games. But I rarely watch these videos all the way through and I don't really watch them to learn uh, the, the rules to the game. I watch them to, to figure out what kind of game it is and to figure out if it's the kind of game I might want to research more to try to cover myself or maybe just get a copy of or just to play. Um, I found I actually have a really hard time learning games from videos, which I think is kind of ironic considering my full-time job is teaching other people how to play games in videos. Um, uh, even last night, um, I tried to learn the rules to 18 Chesapeake because I'm just starting a asynchronous game of that. Um, I watched a couple videos and I just was not getting it. So I downloaded the rulebook, read the rulebook, and I got it. I think this might be just because I've read literally thousands of rule books. Reading rule books is a big part of my job, so my brain is very much built around learning games and really retaining the the, the stuff, the, the pieces of those games when I read them. So I probably just uh, backed myself into a corner there. Uh, this really isn't a slight against all of those other channels. I just, over time, I've found I have a harder and harder time learning from videos. Uh, but still, there are a bunch of really great channels out there. Ocean asks, how differently would you teach a game to a table compared to how you structure your videos? Um, I do it pretty differently, honestly, because, you know, my videos are, are learn while you play type of videos. So um, I don't bother telling you how things will score until it's relevant. And I don't bother telling you about, you know, half of the actions until we actually bump into those. And in my experience, people don't actually like to learn games that way when they're about to sit down and actually play them. Uh, I know some people teach rules this way, um, but it's not a way that's really worked out for me. In general, when I teach rules to people, 
I guess I approach it from a somewhat similar angle with a different branching path to my videos. Because in my videos, you know, I teach things as we bump into them, but I also go through the relative structure of the game, you know, teaching the um, phase one before I teach phase two, before I teach phase three and that kind of thing. Um, and I also try to teach things from the simplest aspects to the most complex ones in my playthroughs. And I do that in person as well. Um, so, you know, if there's a player aid, then I will give player aids to people and I'll usually teach the game off of that, going off of whatever order that might have. Um, and I might skip a step if it's more complicated or it involves some larger pieces that will be covered uh, or explained more organically later on in the teach. So, so I do try to follow the flow of the game when I teach these. I know some people start right off at the beginning explaining like where you get victory points from or something like that, which isn't really the way of uh, I've learned to uh, teach games. Although <laughs> I have to be honest with you, I'm not super sure how I teach games to people. I don't really think about it. I honestly just start <laughs> uh, to a certain extent. That's, you know, how I do a lot of my content, like the vlogs, especially. I just start talking and, and hope the right words come out. So I don't have a, a super structured plan of attack when I'm teaching games to other people, unlike in my tutorials where I do come up with a certain plan uh, where I might uh, plan out, I'm going to cover these actions before these actions because of the relative complexity of them because of the uh, play, uh, learn while playing nature of the videos. Um, Amelia says, for a great foundational games, uh, for war games, I'm assuming, check out Shores of Tripoli or Sagigahara. I think you might admire their elegance. All right, cool. I'll definitely keep that in mind. In fact, um, the publisher of Shores of Tripoli reached out to me about potentially making a video. Um, they haven't um, committed to it just yet, and I just skimmed the rulebook. I didn't realize it was considered a war game, so that's that's definitely good to know. I'll, I'll give that a, a look. And I've heard of Sagigahara before, or at least I've heard the name before, but that, that's all I really know about it. So uh, thanks. I'll try to look into those. Uh, C. Chung asks, have, I hope you're having a pleasant day, John. I loved your Iberian Gage playthrough. How would you rank the games in the Iron Rail series and why? Um, so, so far, to my understanding, there are just three games in the Iron Rails series. Um, the Iron Rails is uh, the games being republished by Capstone Games that are, um, uh, the, the rights to them have been purchased from Winsome Games. Uh, those are Irish Gage, then uh, Ride the Rails, and then Iberian Gage. Um, of the three of those, I didn't actually enjoy Irish Gage that much, although part of me wants to give that one a shot again. And between Ride the Rails and Iberian Gage, I think I give a preference to Iberian Gage because I think the uh, operating round structure of that game is just bonkers and super freaking cool. But um, I have played Ride the Rails recently, and I really enjoyed that game as well. So they're relatively close, although I think I right now give an edge to Iberian Gage. Uh, Ocean asks, how approachable did you find the rules for 18 chess speak for a Euro gamer? Um, that's an interesting question. So I found the rules okay. Uh, at the beginning of the rulebook, it, it specifically mentions that 18 chess speak is supposedly an 18xx game that works well for new people to the genre, and that the rulebook was supposedly written from that perspective. And I can say that I mostly got it, but there were still definitely some parts of that rulebook that left me scratching my head. There's not that many examples to explain different things. Uh, so the details of specifically how the private company's special actions worked went right over my head. Um, so that part seemed a little bit weak. And I felt like in general, it was way better than other 18xx uh, rulebooks that I've tried to read. I tried to read the, uh, uh, what was it, 1862 rule, rulebook at one point uh, before it got republished, and I made it about a page in and just 
could make no sense of it at all. So as far as a comparison there, I think the 18 Chesapeake rulebook is fine, but um, I think it definitely could have used another pass to, to really show a bunch of examples for people, or maybe just have the last couple pages show some uh, good breakdowns of all of the things that they taught for people who are not familiar with 18xx games, because it definitely left me scratching my head. Like, I did not feel confident that I could teach the game after reading through the rulebook, which is a little bit of a bummer. Uh, fortunately, I'm playing with people who have played before, so they could all answer my questions. Let's see. Lionel says, what are the next expansions you're thinking about adding to your collection? How about ones for Aquatica, Nidavellir, The Crew, and Glenmore 2? Um, that's a very timely question, because just yesterday, I got a big box of uh, games in. I had a little bit of retail therapy. Uh, I really wanted to buy Polynesia, and then while I was there, I found three expansions that I bought. So I actually acquired three expansions yesterday, and I don't normally get expansions, so it's a bit of um, out of the norm for me. Maybe I was just a bit weak-willed when I did that. Um, those expansions were Tarji, the expansion. I think that's what it's called. Um, Tarji is a brilliant two-player game, and I've been meaning to get this expansion for a long time. Actually, <laughs> I technically bought this expansion back in 2016 when it was only available in German, and my uh, plan was to make paste-ups and, like, paste down uh, English text onto the cards. But um, like a day or two before my copy arrived, Z-Man announced that they were going to make an English version. So when my German version arrived, I immediately sold it without uh, breaking it from the shrink wrap. And that was <laughs> in 2016. So almost five years ago, it took me that amount of time to actually get an English copy of the game. So I'm looking forward to trying that one. Uh, I also picked up the moon expansion to Ganymede. Uh, I've been meaning to pick this one up for a while because Ganymede is a really neat simple game that I don't even remember a lot of the rules to, but I remember when the Moon expansion was released, I really liked what I saw, and that memory was enough for me to throw it into my cart, so I don't actually remember how it works. It just makes a simple game a little bit more complex, and I felt like the game could use a little bit more crunch to it, so I'm looking forward to trying that expansion, and the other one that I got is the Corruption expansion to It's a Wonderful World. I think it's not just called Corruption. I think it's Corruption and something else. Um, it's a Wonderful World is a brilliant card drafting game that is incredibly simple. And I remember when the Kickstarter campaign for this one went out, I really liked what I saw in that expansion for shuffling some more cards into the decks and adding a little bit more complexity to a very simple overall game in much the same way that I wanted to add Moon to Ganymede. Um, so I have that now. I haven't actually broken the shrink on any of those yet, uh, but I'm hoping to at some point. I'm not sure when I'll actually get around to playing any of them, but I, I do have them now. And uh, I'm not sure if there are any other expansions in the works uh, in my head that I want to get. I did pick up the extra maps expansion to Polynesia because retail therapy. <laughs> I was there. Polynesia looks cool. I love the look of the map, so I decided to buy another map as well. It was relatively cheap. Uh, so yeah, that's probably all the expansions I'll be buying for a while. Uh, all right. Uh, Thomas asks, uh, hello from Denmark. What IP would I like to see in a board game? I would love to see a good Simpsons board game. Um, honestly, the main IP that I would love to see done well in a board game is Myst. Uh, I adored Myst and in particular Riven. I actually liked Riven even more than Myst when I was a kid, you know, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I was borderline obsessed with these games. I made a very extensive fan page for Riven <laughs> when I was like 13 years old on GeoCities. Um, and I would love to see a good board game in these universes. They're gorgeous universes. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff there. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, ways you can make a great game in that setting. Uh, I would hope it wouldn't be like a story-based game. I feel like, you know, give me a Euro game set in mist with puzzles and contraptions and all that kind of stuff. Like, 
man, I think there could be a really cool game there, but I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen. <sighs> All right. Well, it looks like that is going to bring us to the end. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who has uh, joined in for the live version of this, as well as everybody else who's joining in later for the edited version. Uh, I, as always, enjoy making these, and I didn't lose my voice in this one, so that worked out pretty well. Uh, so yeah, uh, I will do another one of these live Q&As in... Uh, April <laughs> in a few weeks, and I'll announce the date and time for that in the update vlog, which should be going out at the start of April, and I hope to catch you around for that one. Thanks for listening.